First Timothy, and we're chapter number two. A bit of an odd verse that we're going to look at tonight, and then some challenging verses. Uh, a lot of it isn't hard to understand, except maybe maybe the last verse we're going to look at tonight. But let's start reading and see if we can get some help from the Lord. First Timothy chapter number two. We are picking up at verse number eleven. Bible says, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. Oh boy, <laughs> going to get a little bit of a rough road tonight. <laughs> let the women learn in silence with all subjection. Now that's in the Bible. We read it in the Bible. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in subjection. I'm reading the Bible, folks. This isn't a nursery rhyme or a fable or a fairy tale. It is in the Bible. We're going to get some help and figure out what all this means. Verse 13, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Now here's the odd verse I was telling you about. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now we know that this is a pastoral epistle and the context of the women being silent, they're not, God is not asking women to walk around the earth and walk around the world not speaking ever. We have a specific context that's in the corporate gathering of Christ's body, the church. And when the church gathers, God has some roles for men and some roles for women. And so we're learning about that in 1 Timothy. And the man God has ordained to take the teaching role in the midst of a mixed congregation. Women are not to teach from the pulpit and they're not to teach when the congregation gathers over men, they would be usurping authority. So in that context, God says, women, you are to be silent. Now that's the word of God. It doesn't matter to me what Paula White says. That's the word of God. It doesn't matter to me what uh, Joyce Meyer has to say. It doesn't matter a hill of beans what any of these false prophetesses want to call themselves, when they get behind the, pul the pulpit, sorry, Paula White's wrong. I don't care that she has a multi-million dollar organization. It's not God's work. It's, it's her work. It's a man's work, but it's, it's, it's her work. It's not of God. Say, so, well, I have the gift of teaching. Fine. Get some ladies together and have a Bible study. Volunteer to be a Sunday school teacher. But you're not going to come behind the pulpit on a Sunday morning and preach. It's not mean, even though it might sound mean, because this whole world has gone woke. God wants men to preach. I'm not being mean. to This isn't mean. This is meat from the word of God. So we can get some help. But it talks about not to usurp authority. And... The Bible talks about in Matthew, for I am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me. Soldiers understand authority. We're soldiers for Christ, right? The verse goes on in Matthew. It says, go and he goeth and do another. He says, come and he cometh and my servant do this and he doeth it. In other words, the general will say, go. 
and the soldiers march. And then the general says, come, and then the, the soldiers march back to camp. They're not debating. They're not asking questions. They're following the authority. That's the military. Uh, and they understand authority. Some of the best Christians are ex-military men because they understand authority. Um, in, in the Bible, we, we looked at, um, in the beginning of this chapter, it talked about authority. Um, look back at the first, uh, the second verse, rather, of chapter 2. Remember, we preached through this already, and the chapter's wrapping up with some more authority. But it says, for kings and for all that are in authority. Um, all of us are under some type of governing authority. You know, the government, whether you and I like it or not, controls our life. Um, they're not our roads. It's their roads. They allow us to drive on it, and we pay a pretty penny on it in taxes. <laughs> and you think that you own the land, and yeah, you might have paid for the two-by-fours and the paint and the roof and all that for your house, but you still do have to pay taxes on that land. <laughs> and if you don't pay those taxes, the government's going to come after you. We all have authority, and it should be easily recognized in everyday life. The Bible talks about in Proverbs, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Now, I am thankful that I do not live in what used to be Babylon. <laughs> and I am thankful that I don't live in uh, the time of William Tyndale when the Roman Catholic Church was the government and you were subject to their rule. And I'm thankful that we live in a country where, for the most part, uh, you can still drive through most towns and see on the square, on the courthouse, in God we trust. Although I hear now they're trying to mint coins and currency to take that away. Which, by the way, they will take it away because it's they're going to move away from that. It's all going to be either coming into your account or out of your account electronically. How about that? But we have authority, and authority should mean something to Christians. And I want to rejoice if we get someone who at least claims to be conservative and hold to Christian values, even though their Christian values might not be as high as octane Christianity as we are, I want righteous people to rule. Amen. Don't you? Authority. Jesus said, go to Matthew chapter number 7. Matthew chapter 7. This is very interesting from the perspective of if you're out on the street witnessing or talking to lost people, this is one of the chapters that they love. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1. But, well, they know the first two words. 
It says, judge not. When they say that to you, the Bible says, judge not. You should always ask them, your follow-up Your follow-up statement to them should always be, can you show me in the Bible where it says that? <laughs> I doubt very much that they're going to land you in Matthew chapter 7. But it's interesting that the chapter talks at, talks starts off talking about not judging. Um, and in the context of that judge not, it's really trying to, the Bible's trying to help us understand, look, if I make a judgment call on you, you I better expect for you to make a judgment call on me. Uh, in other words, young man, if you have a lot to say about a lot of things, don't get upset when someone has a lot to say about you. <laughs> Judge not. However, you're going to measure, it's going to be meat back to you. Amen? Amen? But then it goes on. Look at verse number 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. He tells you to judge not, and then in the middle of the chapter he's judging everybody. Broad versus narrow. Straight versus crooked. We are to make judgment calls. And we are to compel people to think about what way they are on. Are they in the way? Jesus Christ or not? You're helping them to discern and judge themselves through a standard of righteousness. And that's not a bad thing. But when he says judge not, he's just saying, look, make sure you don't get upset when somebody does that to you. You meet it out, you measure it out, it's going to get meat back to you, and you better be good with it. Look at verse 16. You shall know them by their fruits. Well, I'm a Christian. Yeah, but your fruits don't convince anybody of that. Okay? If you're supposed to know me by my fruits, and I'm supposed to know you by your fruits, then that means I am looking at what fruit you bear. How many of you young people ever went to the grocery store with your mom or dad? Any of you youngins go? Did you ever see your mom try to pick out some apples or some cantaloupe or some lemons? And mom is standing there as judgmental as she can be. Picking up the bag of apples and looking at them and picking up the lemons and seeing which one is ripe and which one isn't. Fruit. And you're judging that fruit. And you're going to make a decision on which ones you're going to take home to cook with and all that and eat. That's judgment. That's a good thing. You and I are bearing fruit. I hope when people look, they don't see stale, rotten watermelon. I hope they see something that, oh, wow, that's, that's good fruit. And that's how we should live our lives. Um, verse number 20, wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. We talked about that. Go down to verse 29. And here's what it says. For he taught them as one. And here's what I wanted to get to. Having authority. 
and not as the scribes. In the mixed congregation, women are told by God to not usurp authority over the man. Jesus Christ taught with authority. He is the example. It's okay, it's right to have some umph behind your preaching and behind your teaching. Jesus taught, he made it plain, he cut straight, he let everybody know exactly what he meant. I mean, parable's a little bit different, but he didn't hold back. He had some authority. Who's the head of the church? Christ is. In all things, who should have the preeminence? Christ. If he taught with authority and he's our example, his pulpit should thunder with authority from the word of God. Not hallmark stories by men. If you have a story, you better tie into making a biblical point. Okay? Not against a story, not against an illustration, not against humor. But it has to be with some authority. It has to tie in with some authority from the Word of God. Amen? Go to Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians chapter number 3. The Bible says in Colossians 3 verse number 12, Put on therefore... As the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now, is Christ going to just forgive everybody? Is it universal salvation? He's just forgiving. And well, you know, People say it to you all the time, well, God's just a forgiving God. Well, he is. But he isn't going to just forgive you. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now, even as Christ forgave you, how was it as that he forgave you? Someone came to repentance and faith in him, and then he forgave. And we are told to put on some things authoritatively. We're told to put on some things. Why? Because we're the, we are the elect of God. And as a Christian, you have an authority that should rule. Look at verse 14. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of per, uh, perfectness. And let the peace of God, watch this, rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. There is an authority that is ruling in your heart. Christ. And if you and I are going to understand authority in the body of Christ, we have to first come to grips with understanding we have, as born-again, blood-washed pilgrims, a rule in our heart. And that rule in our heart overrules our will and our mind. Amen. And watch what it says. Let the word of God, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Verse 16. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. 
singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, if the word of God doesn't richly dwell in me and it doesn't richly dwell in you, how is your teaching going to amount to anything? It isn't. The rule in your heart needs to be in alignment with God's word. It's, it's, it's all in agreement. So ladies, if you are teaching a ladies Bible study or you are teaching a Sunday school class with children, it's going to be for naught if you don't have a rule in your heart. If you don't have something dwelling in you richly, which is the word of God. That's what you want. You want that authority ruling. Women in the church is the context we're looking at at 1 Timothy. And men, we need to understand that there's situations in our lives where women will be the authority. Yeah, I know it's a Baptist church, but, but hear me out. Don't anybody get nervous. Do you know when I go to the dentist, the, the hygienist is the one who's in authority? <laughs> Sit down. Okay. Open wide. Okay. This isn't going to hurt. Ow. <laughs> okay. She is the one doing the commands. I'm not laying back. You're not telling me what to do. What? What is that? We need to get our context right. How many of you have ever flown on an airplane? Well, when the stewardess, who is, who is a female, says, Oh, no, your seat is over here on 14A. You're in 13A. Well, I'm a man and you're a woman and you're not having any authority over me. Yeah, okay, uh, get this guy off the plane, please. <laughs> Nobody would do that. So we don't want to, there's always a cliff to fall off on on both sides. And God help us to not be, to not be that guy or that gal. First Timothy chapter 2 is talking about within the church, men are taking the authoritative role in the teaching. Go back to Genesis 2. Look at verse number 7. Genesis 2, verse number 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils to breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now go all the way down to verse 15 and watch what we find. The Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. He had authority. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. Man, God gave man some dominion over the garden. He had authority over that garden. But he still needs some help. Look at verse 19. And out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them 
unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. So not only did God give him authority over the garden, now he's giving him authority over the animals. But he still needs some help. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And woman, the woman was made from him to be a companion for him. Because man needs companionship. You don't have to turn there, but we did preach through 1 Corinthians 11 last year, and it talks about, for the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Remember that verse? And it says, neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. But men, gentlemen, we have to understand this. The woman wasn't, she is not for us to dominate over. She is for us to help us. She is there for our companionship. She is there for, because we need help. And we got too many Christians that have this domineering mindset that God didn't, God didn't create in that manner. Your wife isn't a nail and you're a hammer and you're just going to smash her into the ground. She's supposed to be there to help you and to be your companion. So be nice. <laughs> She's there to help. And in 1 Timothy chapter number 2, stay in Genesis uh, 2 because we're going uh, to need to stay there for a second. But it goes on in 1 Timothy 2 and it says, For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. It's not old-fashioned. These women libbers and this, you know, feminist movement, they're just angry women. They're just angry. It's not old-fashioned for women to ask their husbands do you think it's a, a good idea if I spend this much money on XYZ? Do you think it's a good idea if I buy this car? It's, it's a biblical principle. To protect herself from being deceived, God set it up so that she has a man to serve as that protection. Now, Adam failed. And gentlemen, we have probably failed many a times, but nonetheless, 
Women are more easily deceived, and so there is nothing wrong at all. It's biblical, it's right for the wife to check in with her husband. No, she shouldn't have to check in. Do I, can I buy this loaf of bread because it's 50 cents more than what I'm used to spending? I mean, come on, let's be realistic, okay? Give her a break if she spends $25 more on a pair of shoes than you would have liked her to. I mean, she put up with you for half the year. <laughs> it's probably worth at least an extra $25 on a pair of new shoes. Okay, you, you see what the Bible's saying? We don't need to fall off on a cliff. We just need to understand the principle and just try to get a hold of it. In Genesis chapter 3, I ask you to stay there um, because we see the same cross-reference in verse 17 in Genesis 3. Adam says, uh, or God says unto Adam, verse 17, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. We plummeted into sin, and the sad part about it is, Adam wasn't deceived. He knew exactly what was going on. He knew what was wrong and what was right. He wasn't deceived. Look at verse 13. Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. She acknowledges that she was wrong. She acknowledges, I got duped. I got deceived. She acknowledges it. We need to have some more women that just kind of get a hold of that and acknowledge, you know what? Yeah, I think that I'm more easily deceived because the Bible says that. That doesn't mean you can't make decisions. That doesn't mean you shouldn't have the liberty and freedom to make hard decisions. Tough decisions. But if you're trying to do that, by avoiding your husband's insight, God says that's not a wise thing. That's not a wise thing. Why? Because you're just more easily deceived. Man's weakness is he's lonely. He needs companionship. That's our weakness. We need companionship. The woman's weakness is she's more easily deceived. So if you work together, it works. It works. All right. Okay. Let's go back to 1 Timothy. I told you we had a tough verse in here. 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 7. A lot of people say about that women, uh, women in the church and all that, they just try to make it. The two arguments they use is to say, well, that's not what it really meant. It's the same trick that got Eve in the garden. It just changed God's word. Just say, well, it's a mistranslation. That's not really what it means. Oh, I know what it says. Same, same trick. Or they'll say, well, that was for... Yeah, you know, the, Timothy's pastoring the church at Ephesus. That was for that church at that time. 
Folks, you got to make all the verses just for that church at that time. You got to make the entire chapter. No, it's written to that church. But it's also for the church, the body of Christ, which we are, which we are a part of. And we don't have that problem here, but nonetheless, we should be teaching about it. All right, where are we? First Timothy 2. Look at verse 15. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. This can't mean that women are, that women's souls are saved, that they're saved spiritually through giving birth. It can't mean that. Um, because then that would mean only women that are able to give birth can actually be saved spiritually. So it can't be, it just, it, it can't be any type of soul salvation, spiritual salvation for eternity that's being talked about. So it has to be what? It has to be a temporal, physical reference to salvation. It's got to be. Okay, so if we understand that, I'm sure all of us can agree with that. So now, what specifically does that mean? Let's see if we can get some help. We'll close out with trying to get some help on this, on this passage. And to do that, I ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians 7 and look at verse number 32. The Bible says, But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Young people, the only thing you should be caring about is pleasing God. Watch what it says next. Verse 34, there is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. Amen. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Ladies, you're there to be his help, his companion, to please him. That means you can't just, well, I'm just going to have all my thoughts on the Lord. No, your thoughts need to be on how the Lord would have you please your husband. You don't just have the cares of the world on how you can just live and serve God. Because now if you're married, you're serving God means you're serving your husband. And it says in verse 35, For this I speak to your own prophet, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that ye may attend upon the Lord without, watch this, Distraction. There is a value being taught here on the principle of being single. 
Paul was single, he didn't have to please his wife. He didn't have one. He didn't have to spend time with his kids. He didn't have them. So when you're single, you don't have to think about any of that. There's some value in that life. It doesn't mean that it's, there's no value in being married. It's just different. You don't have to turn back there. We, I just want to read it to you. We, I think we already read it. In Genesis 3, it says, Under the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now that's enough to put any baby, young, uh, any, any baby Christian in tears, if a woman. That's part, of the, that's part of the fall. You mean, you mean if I get married, he has to rule over me? That's what it says. You mean if I give, if I give birth and I, and, and I go through all of that, it's going to hurt? It's going to cause me sorrow? Yes. But you know what God says? He's going to be there with you all through the way. What if the woman's more spiritual than the husband? What if the wife gets up and reads her Bible and the husband doesn't? What if the wife wants to go to church and the husband can care less? It's hit or miss. He's going to rule over me? Come on. Guy don't even pick his Bible up. Now that hurts. That hurts. You have the Lord with you. It's going to be a hard walk. It's a consequence of the fall. And it takes us back to when sin entered into the world and a woman's sorrow now increases. But God doesn't want to just wear women out. And he doesn't want his church and he doesn't want the preacher just wearing women out. So, when we read 1 Corinthians 7, and we read 1 Timothy chapter 2, a woman is saved in, in childbearing, what does it save her from? The distraction and the frustration that comes along with having to take an authoritative role and teach the Word of God over a congregation. Well, what does that have to do with childbearing? A woman is saved in childbearing. In other words, when she has children, now her thoughts are on teaching them. Her thoughts are on training them. Her thoughts and her heart is on them. She doesn't have time to fight with the preacher about, well, when am I going to be up next on the Sunday school rotation? She's saved from having to deal with all of that. Why? She has children to raise, which is hard work, which is training, which is teaching, which is admonishing, which is authority. 
It may seem like those are some strong verses in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Women needs to learn in silence. I suffer a woman not to usurp authority over the man. At first glance or at first read, it seems like it's hard words from the Lord, like it's not fair, but it's actually a relief to godly women. Oh, I have my role here. Whew. Thank the Lord. I'm glad I had some gifts. <laughs> You know what else it saves her from? Deceiving God's church. If she's more easily deceived and she takes the authority over the man behind the pulpit, the whole congregation is now going to be deceived. The woman is saved from that. You are, ladies, you are saved from the pressure of ever causing anyone to be deceived because of your wrong teaching to God's church. Now, isn't it nice if you're teaching a, a, a ladies group or you're having a, a, a Bible study or something like this, you can go to your husband. Hey, what do you think about this? The husband and wife can come to the pastor. Oh, pastor, what do you think about this? You see how there's some authority there. God set that up for a reason. So ladies, you're saved from all of that stress and frustration that comes along from doing this. It's a heavy weight. You don't want to teach something wrong and deceive someone. Lastly, the Bible says in that verse, if they continue in faith and charity, and holiness with sobriety. It takes a husband and a wife for a home to function. If everybody's fighting for position in the lane that they're not supposed to be in, you're just going to have crashes every week, every day. God says, stay in your lane. Charity. We read it in Colossians 3. And above all these things, put on charity. We did a conference on that. Which is the bond. Bond is a glue. It's the bond of perfectness. It's what holds. Charity is the glue that bonds us and keeps us together. Kids, have you ever used glue sticks? You ever use those glue sticks in school? You put it on the paper, you put it on there, and then by the time you come home or by the time the day is over, the thing's falling off, it really didn't bond well. You get that, el that thick Elmer's glue, you squeeze it out of the bottle, you get so much on there, it gets on your school desk, and you smash that thing on there, and it stays back. Now, as gentlemen, we do woodworking projects. There's a few grades of glue. You know, you can get one grade and you put it on there and it pops off. But you get the super heavy duty. You put that thing on there. That's bonded. It's like you can't take it off with a forklift. That's charity. That is the bond. That's the glue that will hold us together. So, ladies, 
when you look at First Timothy chapter number two, and it talks about women in modest apparel, when it talks about uh, being silent in the church, you can do all of that. And the thing can still fall apart. Because what is more, what is higher, what is better, what is the bond that holds it together? It's not the modest apparel. It's not being quiet, quiet in, in church and not teaching. It's charity. It's charity. First Timothy 2 seems like it's a hard chapter to read. But if we start with the last verse practically and get charity down, we can work backwards in our verses and we can get it. 